Welcome to EdTech Adventures. Join us as we explore the role of technology, STEM, and creative play in education. With expert guests, we'll discover how learning is always an adventure. Coding with food, coding with poetry, incorporating indigenous languages into a programming language. These are all examples of ways that we can be creative with code. Today, our guest, Kofi Oduro, or Illis Precha, will share his vast experience in creative coding and education. Illis Precha is an experiential storyteller that transforms data, words, and code into experiences that nurtures discussion, reflection, and interaction. With a decade plus of performance, event, and audiovisual production, he takes inspiration from endeavors that are not normally connected to create a harmonic experience for audiences. Thanks so much for joining our podcast, Illis Precha. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. All right, now let's start at the beginning of your journey. Could you describe a memorable education experience that you've had as a student? I'm in the Quebec system, so first I should explain. So in Quebec, how it works is that we don't have grade 12. You have to go to college before you go to university. So college counts as 12, 13, and you start high school in grade 7. So sec 4 would be like high school grade 4, like just for reference. So this was like grade 10. And we were taking this class entrepreneurship and you can only get two grades in entrepreneurship and 85 or 50. So back again, until you reach university, a pass in Quebec system is 60. So it was like a pass or fail, basically, that class. Yeah, yeah, pass or fail. Okay, yeah. But but he kept it real. So he was like, honestly, yo, he's like, sometimes in life... You might have a boss and you can send your boss the same thing and you would get a different grade. Sometimes like people will sneak something like two weeks later and then he will count it. But the thing is that you actually couldn't really fail the class because it was one of those things that like failure meant you just had to keep redoing it till he passed you. So one of those things that I have learned, like there's the real answer and you got an 85 because he's like, no matter what you do today, you still have to improve tomorrow so he couldn't give 100 because like no one will ever say your work is perfect they'll always find ways to nip it so that's like one of my memorable moments because i'm like this is a different way to grade but it was one of like our favorite classes because it's like okay even if you do bad you can still have a chance to pass and some people might have problems with the subjectivity but i felt like since the subjectivity was out in the open and made things that like, okay, if this is not a pass today, maybe I tweak it up, maybe tomorrow. So it made it more like, okay, is this going to make me go true to the next round? So yeah. Yeah. I sort of like how he was so transparent about it and that he made a statement that no one could get a hundred. I wish a teacher did that to me because I was so obsessed about getting the hundred. I had one physics teacher who did that where your exam grade was never final. Like you could always go back and fix your answers and get at least partial credit back up. Then another one I had now that I'm thinking was in grade seven, grade eight, there was a science teacher. And I remember one time I got in trouble for this where her philosophy was, if you said something that didn't sound possibly true, she would actually take you up and you actually had to discuss with her why you made such a comment. Wow. And I will never forget my comment was about lights, like a candle. So I made a comment that like, okay, the flame, if the flame is, if you have like a darker color marker or something that technically should burn faster. Remember, I don't know science at the time. So I had to explain my theory and I'm like, light reflects off things that are dark or not and don't heat waves attract to darker things. So if the source of the candle is heat, wouldn't that be more of uh, fly? So you had to like apply 
anything you said. It's now interesting because now you know we're in the era of fake news and all that. But that was one of the things like, okay, if you said something, can you prove it or were you just talking to talk? So you have these student experiences and you go off and you're doing college and university. Thanks for explaining that system. Could you share how then you became interested in the world of working in education? I have always been one that likes to mix stuff up, right? So like in college, first I was studying a bit of like electrotechnician. So once again, got to explain college year is what y'all would call. I think it's the same thing. We call it like a deck, but I think there's like equivalent to associate degree. So then after I will do social science, but then also I'd have like this art practice. I've been doing videography. Then when I entered university, you know, studied some sports and health science, computer science, some extra social science. So it's one of those things that the more I got in, like I always weirded people out by what I would connect. Because sometimes I'll be like, yo, is there a way I can mix two classes together? And then like, even though I'm doing two different works, can I apply stuff so I'm learning like at the same time? So it could be like a class that had nothing to do with coding. I would find a way to code, find a way to like write poetry in it. So I always try to make classes my own. And then after a while, people are like, oh, this is cool. So the first time I did a workshop was I had a friend that was doing English as a second language. I guess once again, I should explain. There's going to be a lot of I should explain. Because <laughs> even though Quebec is in Canada and Canada is an Anglophone country, Quebec is a Francophone country. So Quebec, the laws are French first, English second. So there's a lot more French schools. So even though like in Montreal, which is bilingual, if you go outside of Montreal and Quebec, there tends to be like French dominated. So English as a second language is something that's like actually done by a lot of people that like speak English because of the French. So my friend needed someone to come in to teach her class. So I was then teaching them how to like do simple, simple like coding stuff and other like random things. Then the year after there was a art festival. I went to like a uni that's like in the middle of not the middle of nowhere, but it's like not the biggest cities, like two, three hours from where I stayed. And they needed people to do an art thing. So I'm like, okay, whatever. Let me just teach them processing, right? Like processing at the time. This is a while ago. So this could, I don't know if processing was at three yet. I think it was at three, but I could be wrong. <laughs> so go in, teach some people how to do some like processing code, got paid. I'm like, oh, this is cool. Let me do it next year. And then from then on, kept adding more and more. That's really cool. So it just slowly grew organically with this coding and education. Now, in your work, it sounds like even from the beginning, you were exploring how to code creatively, mixing and matching different things together. Could you share some examples of what creative coding could look like in a classroom, whether it's when you're teaching a workshop or if a teacher is trying to do it with their students? Yeah, it could come in many different ways. So I guess I can start with like concrete examples of myself. So what really kicked it off for me was when I learned about like musical coding and then after I was like, oh, we can do audiovisual coding. So I gave myself a challenge to like make short films, abstract short films. And then one of the five got selected into an international film festival. And this one, I think, will relate to a lot of the people listening because there is a festival called Punta Rirea. And it's just about dots and lines. So experimental abstract animation. What is cool about this festival is that every year it switches, but also they have a dedicated thing to juniors. So like if you're under the age of 13 or 17, you can apply to stuff. Once again, abstract experimental animation. If there's something that is 
identifiable as a bird or a person, it will not count because they don't really want words or anything. Strictly abstract experimental. So, okay, I was like, since this, that, let me find ways to connect the visual and musical programming in a format that doesn't really care too much about form, but about feeling and about connection. So that's how I got it in, because I'm like, oh, abstract experimentation. So what did that look like? How did you code in that way? Like, so when we talk about coding, most people just think of, okay, a screen and you're writing lines of code. And that's how it works. What was it like coding for a project like this? It was interesting. It was really like my first time putting it together because before I have done like visual programming, then I did the musical programming. And now it's like you're telling a story, right? Which is a whole different type because telling a story is now you're also designing. You're designing an experience for people to go in. So the complexity of the code is different because now it's not the complexity of the code mathematically as well, but it's like, can you let the code tell a story? So now you have to look at the physics of it differently, right? Like the movement, is this too fast for someone's eyes to follow? What type of pace do you want? Do you want the sounds to be rough? How do you equate happiness? How do you create panic? How do you equate that feeling of suspense? And then people be like, well, you can you really do that with code? But I'm like, anytime we watch a movie, right? You know how some scenes, like if it's a heist scene, the cameras will pan in and pan out. Or if it's like a dramatic scene, they're going to play that classical music or that loud bum, 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 bum. How do we equate that? Right. So it sounds like you were using code to express feelings and express emotions. That's so fascinating. Yeah. And the one that got in was called Where Are You? Why Is It Raining? or something like that. And it was like a simple piece that I use OSC, which is open sound control. So I had the sound speak to a processing sketch. And literally all it was was like me just moving my mouse. But depending on how I move my mouse, the rain would be blue or red. But it would have like a high pitched noise because, you know, raining like rain is considered annoying. So I would just be moving it. And that's the one that got selected, which I always found interesting. Yeah, that's interesting that like you're mixing color and audio and visual all together. Do you have any other examples that you've found memorable about how to do creative coding, especially with younger kids? Because it's interesting to think about how we could introduce a concept like that early on in a kid's career. Yeah, so one of the memorable things is this workshop that I gave in Ghana, where I went to an all-girls school, and I was the only one with a computer at the moment, because it was so improv. So I'm like, how do I teach creative coding principles? So what I decided to do, I decided to talk about a jollof, which is like a rice dish. And I told him, like, if you had to make your own dish, what would you do? I'm like, would you? And then someone's like, I might make it purple. I might make it spicy. And then we try to break that down into like, you know, object oriented programming or functional, right? Like, does all rice have to be yellow? If you have purple, is that really different? How does it taste? How does it feel? And I think that's the one thing that when it comes to kids that sometimes I don't want to say overlook or neglect. It's just that like their imagination runs wild, but there's so much depth to themselves on the imagination. So if someone says purple, I'm like, is it because purple is your first favorite color? Is it your second? And then you start doing a tree. So I'm like, if that was purple and that was yellow, which one do you like more? When would you like yellow more than purple? 
Uh, maybe in the morning, maybe in the afternoon. And it's like, do you like to wear a t-shirt? Do you like to wear a sweater? And then they're like, well, it depends if it rains. So then it's like, let's say like there's a big storm outside, thunder's going. Are you going to go for the purple jacket or are you going to wear a yellow sweater? And then slowly and slowly you do realize that like, wow, we actually do a decision matrix or probability tree. Then it's like, all you have to do from then is burning to the code, right? Or like translate it, right? Because every day we live physics. Every day we're moving, we're waking up. So computational thinking is something that we actually do do as humans, I believe. But it's just that we do it at such a rate that sometimes we forget like, oh, wow, yeah. Whereas a kid does that all the time, right? Like, oh, how does this taste? Wow, this tastes like that. Yeah, so it's just almost breaking it down for them through a conversation before they even touch the computer. And asking questions really helps them process that and slow down and think through it, right? Yeah. And one thing I learned from doing a lot of workshops, let's say like they're coding sound. I have to use the word sound and not music. And if telling people music is problematic or telling them that they're going to code a film, problematic. Like I have learned this. I have done this many times. And I have realized that's why I tell people we're going to make sound experiences or listening experience. Because it seems that when you tell someone, oh, we're going to make music, we already have a thought. If I tell you to make a random sound, we can make random sounds all day. But let's say I tell you, let's make music. We tend to have a tendency to think of a song or think of something in our head that we want to replicate. So instead of exploring, we're trying to imitate. But when I tell people sound design, the imitation factor goes in because then it's like, oh, sound, I can go crazy. Right. So then the sky becomes like it's limitless instead of trying to conform into an expected structure like if i tell you make music right now you have a song in head a song popped up right yeah a song like song types popped up i'm really into musicals so i immediately started thinking oh hamilton maybe i'll try something like that versus sound experience i'm going oh it's the sound of a car going by or the sound of like you said the rain and that seems so much more creative and expressive than trying to follow a formula i'm intrigued when you said improv because that also sounds like something that's really key to allowing kids to have that creative expression is that you kept doing yes and to their ideas. How did you learn that? Like, how did you learn that skill set? And why do you see that as so valuable? Oh, yeah, because every time I perform, I do a form of creative coding that's called live coding where people can see my code and I mix the poetry, mix the music, mix the visuals. But then sometimes I'm like, that's not interactive enough. I wanted people to interact. So I started asking the audience questions. And then I realized that the more you ask questions, the more people get in. And then when you show someone that you're listening to them, they get more involved. And then like after I was doing some data science thing, I realized one of my best icebreakers is telling people colors and food because we all like our senses are variant. So I will ask people, what is your fifth favorite food? And what's your seventh favorite color? Because we have a tendency to do recency bias not only recency and what happened first, but also what happened last. Like we have problems with the middle. So if I tell people what you hate or what you like, we can ask those too fast. But now if I say, what's the seventh thing you hate the most? And what's the fifth color you like? It gives you time to learn more about yourself. And then once they answer, then I'm like, okay, you gave me your seventh favorite color or fifth favorite meal, put them together. And then people have to say it aloud if they want. So some people be like, oh, man, I'm a purple hamburger. But one thing, I was in this festival called Reframe Festival, hosted by Julie and Emma in Winnipeg. 
and I had yellow like hues in my code visual. So, but a lot of people didn't realize, like I asked five people in the crowd and all of them had like these neutral colors. Like people were like, I'm a lasagna, I'm cheese, like a lot of yellow browns and all that. And then, then I'm like, you see, we're affected by the world around us. But then I started with the yes, then. So I asked them like, okay, if you're, if you're a purple hamburger, would a cow eat you or no? Would a fox eat you? And then I asked them, let's say it rains. Does that affect you? Are you able to be mushy? How would you move? Would you slitter? Would you hop? Because right now, I brought you into a world that is like our own, but I added two, three parameters that in your head, you can equate that as different. So now we cannot think as humans. And I learned that from Dr. Moya McTurner. During one of her workshops, she said that the problem sometimes with people when they world build is that we tend to build a world that is in ourselves. But if we're saying that, let's say, for example, humans can swim, like humans can breathe underwater, you cannot tell someone that they drown in that world. So how do you represent death? Like, oh, I'm going to toss you overboard. If we can swim and breathe underwater, walk in the plank can no longer be in our vocabulary, right? Or gasping for air. So how do you represent things like that? So it's the same thing with the food. It's like, if you're a hamburger, you're not walking. So what are you doing? Are you hopping? Are you sliding? So yeah. Right. And I like the term yes, then, because yes, and it just feels like a list, but yes, then is making them think conceptually, how do I make that leap into the next piece of the storytelling? right? It's not just staying where you are. I love that. Now, these are all great ideas. And I'm already imagining some teachers going, but it's so much easier just to put them on a coding program, call it a day. So why should teachers or people out there invest time in expanding the way we can code creatively, especially when working with kids? If we expose ourselves to different types of thinkers, we increase the dimensions of how we're able to think. So there's this anime, Space Brothers, where one guy is talking about going to space and I think he actually worked for the Japan space agency. And someone's like, what's the point of going to space? So what he was saying is that if we're all ants and we only know one dimension, once we hit a rock, the ants cannot move, right? Because one dimension, they can only go on one axis, right? So if you're going, let's say up, all you can go is up, down if it's one dimension. So if you hit a rock, you're stuck. Now, if some of the ants realize that they can move in another plane, now they can go around the rock. So to go around the rock is a two-dimension thing. So now the ants, like if they see a couple, it's like, oh, we can walk around Two. Now let's say they hit a cliff. You can't go around the cliff. You can't go up. You have to climb up and down. So three dimensions. So if we're able to think code as some mathematical expression that can tell a story, then that means numbers are also like storytelling. So that might not work for everyone, but it could change the view for a couple students that like, wow, math just tells a start. One plus three is no longer abstract, but one plus three could be like, I have one idea that turns to three. And like in math, there's always those word problems. Computationally, we don't always do those word problems, but let's say we did. Let's say, let's say like we did for a sample right now. We're like, okay, Adam has five apples. Cynthia has four oranges. One apple costs five dollars every time you buy an orange you get two dollars how can we make an equation that he can buy four apples and get 20 let's say something like that 
that's a typical math word problem is right but now let's say we did that computationally and we give some stuff then we turn that into a story right and then maybe we can like if you want to add some music maybe it's like okay but how do we represent that it's a bit rainy and that every time he bites the orange it makes him sour it's like oh wow so you see computationally we're doing something that's interactive fiction but there's still the notion of okay we're going to do this equation so it's like you're teaching like english math computer physics all in once and that's why i think the beauty of like creatively coding is, is that i think it's not an ends to a mean i think it doesn't hamper most things like you can attach it to any type of thinking yeah and i feel like it feels more immersive when you're doing it this way definitely more engaging i know a lot of schools they lose kids because they're not interested in math anymore they're not interested in science anymore but adding all of these little pieces of a feeling of emotion, I feel like it can also keep them more engaged and keep them more interested, right? Yeah, but easier said than done too. So I do know that there is fundamental issues with what I'm saying, right? Because it's like, what is the baseline? How long does it take, right? Because the problem with computers is that like, you can be stuck three hours on a semicolon. Debugging is a whole nother issue. So I do understand that the problem with, creative coding, especially introducing into schools, is this, that creative issues have more debugging in a way that are not concrete or hidden, right? Because normally it's like, okay, two plus two, if it says it equals five, I might just have to change the integer. But now it's like, okay, this is only turning red every five seconds, but on the third second, I want it to turn blue. It's like, but I don't know if I want it to go red to blue right away. Do I want to use a hue or a gradient? I know with creative stuff, we have more tendencies to like nitpick and think away. Same difference as the sound and music thing I explained before. Because if we're thinking sound, it's like everything is great. If we're thinking music, our destination might not be where we should be heading at the current moment. And it almost sounds like it needs to be not or, but an and where you have to carve out time where you're just learning the fundamentals and really focusing on the two plus two equals four. And those are sort of fundamental building blocks so that you can actually then be more creative with it and say, okay, now I know two plus two is four. Let's expand that. Like, what does that look like in the rain? Like you said, what does that look like when it's different colors? And so you're talking about also the data and how it can be harder to track. And you said you've also explored creative data science in regards to things like science fiction and things like that. Could you share some experiences in that realm? Yeah. So for one example, uh, let's say RGB values, which is red, green, blue values, right? One thing which is cool is that you can start doing stuff playing with the numbers that's in the colors. So I have this whole thing where like I try to get the color of food, turn it into sound, turn it into color, like have it like into this ultra multi-sensorial thing. And the more I've engaged in this, the more I realize that a lot of people relate to this because it's one of those things that we all naturally do to our own language right our senses are our language when you see a certain meal the way you smell might not be the way i smell and there's value in that information so every day we're translating things right like sometimes someone will be like oh this smells delicious saying something smells delicious that's technically saying that you have matched your sense of smell to your sense of taste so that's a direct translation that we do right right yeah or like, oh, that music, oh, whoa, what the clothes they're wearing for this music video looks good. Maybe the song might be great. 
this and that, right? It's like, oh, the colors. Or like when we see blue, red, we're like, that feels like Christmas. That feels. Mm -hmm. Feels is a sense of touch. So we do these natural translations. So with like one of my creative data sciences, okay, if we can feel sound, if we can hear taste, what happens when we're very adamant about it, very direct? What kind of results, what feelings, what stereotypes are we perceiving and what stereotypes are we eradicating? And I think that is like the value of some of these mixing, like, you know, steam pedagogies, because sometimes it's not the stereotypes we're reinforcing that make it interesting, right? It's the stereotypes that we're like, wait, if I did this another way, I wouldn't realize there's a potential correlation or non-correlation. So it's almost like the data is forcing you to examine some of your biases, right? It forces you to look at it in a different perspective and really understand, oh, wow, like the way I interpret this is different than somebody else. And that is important to hold and remember. Yeah. Yeah. Now looking into the future, because I feel like, especially now with the technology, it allows you to express and code so much more easily than I say, even 10 years ago. For you, where do you see creative coding going? How could creative coding impact the future of edtech? Since we're talking edtech, I think it's also how we categorize, right? So it's like there's this one debate. If you're making a game, some people will be like, that's not creative coding. But a game, technically, it's a creative output. It's just that it has been done so much and it has its own train of thought, its own schools, its own pedagogy, right? Its own system. So I think it's one of those things that like people will find different ways, which we're already seeing, right? There's computational music, there's computational poetry, computational biology, computational physics, linguistics. I think it's just one of those sense that we're just going to take what is in another category and then bring them in a way that is easily or readily available. And we see that every day, right? We see that with like Rita JS, which is for generative writing of course like right now we have to talk about chat gpt right mm -hmm. maybe like the brainstorming there right and there's a lot of different fields and i think it's just that right for example there's this website called sompis i said o-m-p-i-s-t and like that one was cool because that's like oh wow you can make your own language but then the more you look at it, it's like we always construct our own language so if someone aspires to be a writer, maybe they can code some stuff that then they can get some sentences that then they can later translate into making their own dictionary. And then since they coded it and they have the dictionary, they always had that file, then it's easily implementable, like easily to implement within their work. Or if they're coding music, maybe that script can be used like for visuals. So I think it's the same thing as like, there's not really a lot of cons to my knowledge of learning a lot of languages. So I don't think there's cons learning different coding styles or coding languages because in the same day, it's just different frameworks. If you're familiar, like Azuri is blue in like Italy, realize that that's a different blue than what they have in French and then what they have in English, because culturally, the color that you name something after is what you've seen the most. So that means that we can look at the color blue, red, in every culture, and there's almost no way that it would be the exact same shape because what's red determines on what you see and what you equate to it. Right. And I really am excited to see this future where there's so much more mixing and matching that potentially probably most kids will 
know more than one coding language. Hopefully they'll know several different kinds so that they can use them in so many different ways. I also hope that we also do it for mostly from a non-English. Not that there's anything particularly wrong with Unger, just that we know English, even though it borrows a lot of Latin words, it does come from a dramatic mindset. But imagine if you learn from like the Sino languages or the Bantu Congo languages in like Southwest Africa or even the Latin languages. Imagine if you're able to learn that. That's different frameworks. Because I remember someone told me, and I could be butchering this, where in one indigenous language, a table actually doesn't have a word because it always switches from what the activity is being done to it. So how I was told was that if you're reading at the table, that changes the thing. If you're eating at the table. So nouns are also verbs. And then I remember someone else called John Corbett of Cree descent. So he made a programming language for his thesis in Cree. And since Cree is based on storytelling, his creative language is done like not in the traditional if elf was done like in a storytelling format. But that's because he applied indigenous language. So that's really interesting of looking at how the language can look differently if the origins are different and allowing for more perspectives into it, like allowing for more origin stories almost of different coding languages will get us to open up our mindsets. Thanks for sharing that. And thank you so much, Ellis Preacher, for being part of our podcast and for sharing all of these ideas with us. No problem. Thanks for listening to EdTech Adventures. Please subscribe to catch more of our episodes and leave a review to support the show. For more resources and info, visit us at codecombat.com podcast. I'm your host, Charlotte Chang. We'll see you on our next learning adventure.